So if you would, uh, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm in the New American Standard today. I brought my Trapper Keeper Bible, so you, it's, it's real. It's a real thing. It wasn't just a, a story I was telling you in a sermon. But the reason I'm in the New American Standard today is because I think the way the New American Standard, the old school 1970s version of the, of the Nazi B, as it's called in pastoral circles, uh, the reason I use this one this morning is because I think there's a, a Hebrew word here in this passage in Ecclesiastes that is, uh, that is better. Uh, in verse 9, he uses the word, they use the word fleeting instead of uh, vanity or vain. So that's my explanation for why. Just nobody, nobody panic. We're not changing versions here. I'm just taking this one for a test drive this morning because of this one verse, all right? So Ecclesiastes 9, uh, 7 through 10. Go then. Eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, verily, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. This is the word of the Lord. We turn over to Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may ask to put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Iconor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated and I'll pray for us. Father, we come before your word once again to be changed by it. We sing our songs of adoration and praise to your glory and unity. We confess our sins and our faith together. We hear the assurance of pardon as one people. We offer our gifts to you as one. We pray corporately, and now we come by the help of the Spirit in communion with him and with each, with each other to receive your word as one body. Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church. You, you run your church. You are the king, and you have determined how it is to be governed. So by your grace, as we consider the office of the deacon, may we have in our minds that we are dealing with no small office, for you are no small Lord, and this office has been installed in your church by your providence for your glory and for our good. Amen. Uh, so on occasion, uh, as I'm writing a, a sermon, and I pick like an Old Testament text, you know, I'm preaching out of the New Testament, or when I'm preaching out of the Old Testament, I, I still have a New Testament text to read. Sometimes my chicken scratch handwriting doesn't translate well 
to my notes, and I'll end up printing a, a New Testament passage, and then I, as I'm reading it that morning, I'm going, that was not the one that I picked. And I can see the confusion on your faces, uh, why in the world we're reading that passage with this. This is not one of those Sundays. I really did mean to choose Ecclesiastes chapter 9, all right? Uh, one, because in my just own personal reading, I'm on kind of an Ecclesiastes kick, uh, I'm on my second a, a book this year on the, on the book of Ecclesiastes and really enjoying it. Uh, but also, th- th- there's something that actually does connect from Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10, and Acts 6, 1 through 7. Uh, in the midst of Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher, if you will, Solomon, is talking a lot about how life, he doesn't really use the word vain. I think that's a bad translation. The ESV and others call it a vanity. It's vaporous or fleeting, as the New American Standard uh, says. And, and what, what the preacher is saying is, look, life is short. Uh, life is a mist that vanishes at dawn. And eventually we're all going to meet our maker, right? But in the midst of all of that, in the, in the midst of all of that, enjoy life. Life isn't a bad thing. And in verse 8 in particular, I think one of the points that he's, that he's making here is, God cares about the temporal matters of your life. The temporal, physical matters of life are not a problem. I, I, I like the way that, the, uh, that verse 8 put, is put here in, verse, or in the New American Standard. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. What that means is, it's okay. Do your laundry. Put on some clean clothes. Don't neglect yourself. Right? The Christian faith is not a faith in which we say nothing but spiritual things matter, so I can just let myself go. I can neglect my diet and health. I'll just, I'll just blow through this life as quickly as possible, just, just laying myself out for the, out for the Lord, because only spiritual things matter. No, what God is saying is, take care of yourself. Okay? The, the physical, temporal matters of your life matter. So do your laundry. Put on a fresh set of clothes. Don't neglect oil. That was, that's kind of weird for us because I don't know how many of you actually put oil on yourself every day other than essential oils maybe. All right, but, uh, you know, it's, in, in their culture, that was a way that you would improve, uh, improve your, your outward appearance. Like it, it was a kind of a physical, temporal need to take care of yourself. Okay? And in the same sense, here's the big idea for this sermon that I have about the diaconate this morning. The big idea is that God cares about temporal, physical matters. So he established an office to see to it that physical matters were taken care of in his church. Right? This is pretty much what happens in Acts chapter 6. Very important. Temporal matters, physical needs are arising in the church there in Jerusalem. And a new office in the church is born. The apostles cannot stop praying and teaching. But the physical temporal affairs must be taken care of. Right? There's laundry that needs to be done. There's clothes that need to be whitened. There's physical needs in the church that have to be taken care of. Right? These are not secular matters. These are not matters that God looks at and says, ooh, don't need to deal with that. It's not my wheelhouse. And so the office of deacon is created there in the church. And what we see in Acts chapter 6 is like the, the beta test of the diaconate. It's the primitive form of the diaconate that gets developed later. And we see uh, Paul give it some more structure in his, in his writing. Now, along these lines, I want to give you a few opening thoughts about the diaconate. First, I'm not going to teach you, as we approach uh, nominating men for the office of deacon, as we begin to develop the diaconate and the session will select diaconal assistants to help the deacons, I am not going to teach you about the diaconate from the perspective of Congregationalists, from, from Baptists, from Methodists, 
uh, from the Roman Catholic Church or from any sort of Anglican or Episcopalian uh, form of church government, right? We're only going to talk about the diaconate uh, from the historic Reformed Presbyterian perspective. It's not that those other things aren't interesting. It's just that I'm just trying to help you understand how we think about deacons here in order to, to give you the best information I can uh, so that you can nominate deacons well, okay? Right? The, the, uh, the way that other people do deacons, not my pig, not my farm, as the saying goes. Not worried about it, okay? Second, in my opinion, there's only three passages in Scripture uh, that we can observe to gather, ex- to explicitly point to, to gather information about the office of the diaconate. People, would dis- people in the PCA would disagree with me on that. They would say, well, Romans 16 talks about it. I would say that's, that's kind of a stretch. There's some debatable texts that, that maybe kind of possibly touch on the diaconate. But there's three in particular that really directly speak to the diaconate. We just read one of them, Acts chapter 6. Another one is Philippians 1.1, where Paul mentions the deacons in Philippi uh, right next to the elders. Right? He addresses the saints, and then he talks to the elders and the deacons as he's opening the book. And then the third passage, which we'll cover in, in three weeks, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Right? That's, there's not a lot. There's, there's not a ton uh, not a ton of scripture in the Bible that, ex- that exhaustively unpacks every little thing that deacons should do and every little thing that they ought to be. But we do get a strong sense, and we'll cover this from 1 Timothy 3 later, we get a strong sense of who they are. Like the, the character or existential question about deacons is answered more exhaustively than the deontological, the duty-oriented, responsibility-oriented question, which we're going to cover this morning. Which brings me to the third and kind of last opening point that I have for you. Uh, We have uh, a book of church order. uh, And we look to our book of church order and other wise and prudent historical expressions of biblical principles within our faith tradition to help us with the application of biblical principles for the diaconate in the church. So you can go online, you can look up the PCA's book of church order. It is a riveting document, uh, good bedtime reading. It really is an important document. It's just if you're super into like Wing Feather Saga or The Lord of the Rings, it's not going to be that kind of read, okay? But it is still very important. And what's so interesting about our book of church order is it looks, especially on the issue of the, dia- of the diaconate, it looks so similar to uh, the book of church order in other reformed denominations, what we would call cousin denominations, right? There's a lot of good, uh, all these denominations have, have gathered and drawn a lot of good wisdom and, and prudence uh, from the reformed tradition, okay? So, uh, recently, it dawned on me how old I was uh, because I realized that a movie that I watched as a kid came out in the year 2000. The movie is called The Kid, starring Bruce Willis. That movie came out uh, in the year 2000. I can't believe it's been uh, that long, but here's what you need to know. I haven't seen it in a while, so this is not an endorsement of the film. I'm not telling you you need to go watch this uh, on some streaming service. Uh, I'm just using it as an illustration, all right? So there's my disclaimer. The main character, who's played by Bruce Willis, is named Russ, and he's almost 40. And he's an image consultant who gets hired by governors, actors, news anchors, and other famous and powerful people to improve their public image. And and one day, uh, the eight-year-old version of himself, the kid, uh, shows up randomly somehow in his house. It's really a time travel or dimensional travel movie that never actually dives into the science fiction. They kind of, they kind of really pull it off nicely. But anyway, this eight-year-old Rusty, as he was called as a kid, meets the adult, single, grumpy, lonely version of himself named Russ, and he's got two questions. Well, that's not really true. He's got lots and lots of questions, but essentially they all boil down to two things. What do I do? 
And the way the kid asks that in the film is very memorable. He says, what do I do? What do I do for a living is what he's asking. The second question is, who am I or what am I? At the age of 40, what am I? Who have I become? And what we're going to do is we're going to tackle the first of those two questions regarding the deacon. What do they do? What's the job in general? What's the job more specifically? And how do they get it done? And then on July 18th, God willing, I'll be back in the pulpit that day and we'll talk about who they are. We'll answer more of the character existential question. Okay. Now, there was lots of different ways that I could have arranged these three points. If you're, uh, if you're a newer uh, teenager here in this room, sometimes we play a game during the sermon around here. Just, it's, it's basically roulette where I look at one of the young men in the congregation without telling them it's going to happen and say, which one of my three main points do you want me to cover first? And they kind of panic for a second, and then they answer. And uh, we're not going to do that this morning, and here's why. It was tempting, but I knew if I did that, uh, there's just a lot here. And we need to cover this first point first because I don't want any potential diaconal candidates or their wives to freak out about how much the deacon is supposed to do. So this is very important. You need to understand that the way that this job gets done or how it gets done is not just all on the shoulders of, of the deacons. Okay, We're not going to put you on an island and say, best wishes, good luck with all of this. It's just you two or three guys. Uh, get the job done. See you later. That's not how it's going to work. So how do they get the job done? Meetings, management, and manpower. Meetings. Uh, the BCO, Chapter 9, Subsection 4, or Section 4, uh, requires that you only have to meet once a quarter together. Right? Of all of the Reformed denominations right now, conservative Reformed denominations, that's the least. Some make you meet once a month or nine times a year. Once a quarter, guys. That's it. We're not trying to keep you in meetings forever. That's not how this job gets done, but it is an important part of doing the work of the diaconate. So once a quarter together, and then once a quarter with the session, right? Once a quarter, you have to be in a joint meeting with us because this is a team. We govern, we lead the church of Jesus Christ together, all right? You can double those up. You can meet together uh, right before you're supposed to meet with us for an hour or two. That's fine, right? We're not going to micromanage you. And then the meetings that you... Uh, that you have are recorded by a secretary, right? So the way it worked on, works on the session, we have a clerk of session, right? That's Casey. And then the, the diaconate will have his equivalent of a secretary. And you two can get together and you can nerd out on the most strategic ways to take minutes, all right? And, and that's fine, right? There, there's, there's, you see how there's, there's help there, right? You, Casey's not going to look at you and say, yeah, just figure it out. Just go figure it out. Now we work together. Teamwork makes the dream work, okay? Meetings, right? At least once a quarter together, at least once a quarter with the session, and then those meetings are recorded by the secretary. Ma- management, which on a more micro level is called microgement, right? The board of the deacons is led by a chairman. Okay, he, he's my equivalent on the diaconate board. I'm the moderator of the session, and then on, on the, the deacon board, there's a chairman, right? And he kind of helps lead the meetings. And then the money, the checkbook, is managed by the treasurer, Right? So right now we have a treasurer. The responsibilities of the diaconate, when you don't have deacons, the, the ruling elders and the teaching elders have to do it. Right? But there will be a treasurer. So you can already see there's not, we're not overloading one person on the diaconate. There's a chairman and there's a secretary and there's a treasurer. And they lead together. They help serve together. And then the teaching elders, when we have one, that's me, is an advisory member of the diaconate. So you can see... Uh, that you're not just going to be in alone. We're not going to throw you in a room once a quarter and say, figure it out, best of luck. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be an advisory member. I'm not there to micromanage you or to tell you what to do. I'm just there to advise, right? Manpower. Uh, 
And this is why this last point, uh, subpoint, is why I wanted to make this the first main point in the sermon, so that it's very clear uh, that this is not all on your shoulders. Manpower. You deacons are the straws that stir the drink. Okay? You can delegate to laymen who volunteer to help, and you can delegate to the diaconal assistants that, that the session will appoint to help you. Right? The, the diaconal assistants is like a carefully selected and curated group of people that are like, like standing by, uh, they're like a standing army to help uh, the deacons do their work. Okay? So that'll be part of building the diac- diaconal team is ordaining deacons and then the session uh, selecting diaconal assistants. So you can see that this isn't all on your shoulders. There always has to be at least two deacons. There must be a plurality. Maybe there will be three. We have no idea. Right? There's no magical number. It's whatever God uh, provides for us. But it's not just all on your shoulders. You will lead. You will have oversight. You don't have to do all of the things all by yourselves. Right? You just have to make sure they get done. You, you are the straw that stirs the drink. For example, uh, let's say we were having a church work day. Right? The elders have been kind of helping spearhead that. Uh, the deacons will then be the ones responsible for, for leading that. You don't have to be the one that literally drives to Lowe's to get a bucket of paint. Not that we would need any more paint, probably. We've got a whole closet full of it over there. But you get the idea, right? You don't necessarily have to be the one that gets in the family minivan and goes and picks up all of the stuff. That could be delegated. A diaconal assistant or a, uh, another congregate can help you with that. You just have to be the one leading the way. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully that... Uh, that can kind of ease any anxiety you might feel as we get into these next two points, and I begin to unpack uh, what, the, uh, what the deacons do. Here's the job in general, and these three words seem to pop up in four or five other books of church order in various reformed conservative denominations. Develop, devise, and distribute. Okay? Develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church. Devise effective methods of collecting the gifts of the people and distribute these gifts among the objects to which they are contributed. You see this happening in Acts chapter 6, right? The, the apostles don't micromanage the, the, you know, the primitive diaconal office and say, well, here's how you have to collect all, all of the goods of the people, and here's exactly how you have to distribute it, right? That's why it's so important to pick men of good reputation and men who are wise, men who are prudent, because they can sort this out. The elders are not micromanaging the deacons. It's the deacons who develop this culture, devise effective methods, and then distribute the gifts as uh, as are necessary and fitting. Develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church. Essentially what that means is you are developing a culture of generosity and hospitality. It drives me nuts when Reformed churches treat deacons like they're JV elders or like the diaconate is a small office because it's not. It's not a small office. It's not second fiddle to the elders. Deacons are culture builders. They help lead in developing the culture of hospitality and generosity in the church. You've You've heard that verse from Hebrews, like, stir one another up to love and good deeds, right? Deacons are the best. You've seen those giant cauldrons, right? You've got that, like, hockey stick-sized, like, spoon. Like, that's the deacons, Right? We should all be stirring up one another to love and good deeds, but the deacons like, got two, man, two men on like the one giant spoon, and they're really stirring us up to love and good deeds. They're doers, and they, they stir up others to do 
as well. That's developing the grace of liberality in the members of the church. And this is, this is such a relief to me as the teaching elder. Right? That's why this is such a, a brilliant, prudent, and wise way for God to run his church. Could you just imagine? Like, I get up here and yell at you guys for 30 to 40 minutes every week. I send out emails almost every week telling you about different stuff. Could you just imagine if you have to hear me again, like try to stir you up to the grace of liberality in the church? It just gets old, doesn't it? So what this does, what God has chosen to, uh, to have elders and deacons work together is that we are teaching doctrine, helping lead in doctrine, and then the deacons are stirring us up to good deeds, deeds of mercy. And, and deeds of the grace of liberality in the church. Does that make sense? So it's not just one voice constantly exhorting you and instructing you, but you have the teaching elder and the ruling elders and the deacons were working together to lead the people of God where we ought to go and how we ought to live. Second, devise effective means, uh, methods of collecting the gifts of the people. Uh, we live in an interesting day and age. There's online giving. We've got this uh, wood box right here. I'm pretty sure it could survive being run over by a Humvee. Uh, but if that ever broke, right, the, the deacons would have to figure out, well, do we get a silver plate? Do we get another box? Do we build another box? What do we? That's on the deacons. The elders won't have to figure that out. I had someone talk to me the other day. Uh, they're trying to figure out a new place to live, a new place to, uh, new place to move. And, and they, they said, hey, Pastor Nate, uh, does your church accept Bitcoin or cryptocurrency for a tithe? And I said, we'll figure it out. If you want to do that, we'll figure it out. Uh, deacons don't have to be tech-savvy geniuses that understand all of that, but they would have to spearhead devising. That's, a, that's an effective method of collecting uh, the gifts of the people. And there's no precedent for that. But we will work together. They will help uh, if that, someone needs that, right? Because there's lots of different ways to give. You give by check, cash. People give stocks and bonds to church, whatever the case may be. And now there's this thing called cryptocurrency, and people want to tithe with it. Okay, sure, great. The deacons will work to figure out how in the world do we do that? How do we collect that gift, that offering that this faithful Christian wants to bring? And then distribution. Uh, because of where we're, our building is located, I'd say probably at least once a quarter, somebody calls the church or drops by the church in need, in need of mercy ministry, right? And so the reason that a deacon needs to be, and I'm kind of diving into my, my next sermon, but the reason they need to be wise and men of, of good reputation and sympathetic men uh, of sound judgment is because sometimes, uh, you, well, all of the time, you need discernment, you need wisdom to navigate the choppy waters of mercy ministry when someone's in need of your help, all right? And it's the deacons that distribute the gifts amongst the people of God in the congregation and secondarily, those who are outside our congregation who might need, uh, who might need our, our help, okay? So you don't have to be the one, like I said earlier, I'm gonna keep hitting this point home. You don't have to necessarily be uh, the one who physically distributes stuff all of the time but you have to be overseeing it. Right? You have to be leading the charge. So that's the job in general. What's the job in more specifics? People, property, prepare. People are the focus. The book of church order, uh, chapter 9, that deals with the diaconate, it's bookended uh, with, with talking about people. It's very clear that people are the focus. The needy, the friendless, and the distressed. Deacons are servants. They are ministers. They are friends to the needy, to the friendless, 
and the distress. And then the second list, which is the, the back half of, of chapter 9 there in the BCO, the sick, the widow, the orphans, the prisoners. Oh, we, we have, this is deacons, future deacons, this should give you uh, some great relief. We've already got laymen who when somebody is sick or when someone's had a baby, they're like, we don't have to prompt them, this meal trains start happening, right? That's somebody in need, right? And so you can, you can just kind of think about that, make sure that's happening, but the good news is that's already one area where the laymen are crushing it around here, doing a great job, right? That's just an example of how not all of this stuff is going to be on your shoulders all of the time, but you are leading the charge. Sick, the widow, the orphans, prisoners. If someone in this room was ever arrested and found themselves in prison for a short term or for long term, uh, surely the the elders in this room will be ministering to that person, uh, but the deacons will be making sure that the prisoners have friends, that the the prisoners are receiving uh, the ministry and mercy of the church. So people, people, uh, the job is <clears throat> people. Sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, when you get a new job or you're applying for a new job, they'll make you take a test and they'll say, well, are you more people-oriented or are you more task-oriented, right? And, and then you might land one on one end of the scale or the other. But for the deacon, the, the task is people. That is the, ma- the primary focus of of the job is the people within the congregation and within the the community immediately surrounding the congregation. The property. Uh, The elders hold the keys to the kingdom. I didn't come up with this phrase, but I think it's good. The elders hold the keys to the kingdom. The deacons hold the purse, meaning the checkbook. You can kind of imagine uh, what it would look like if... um, Leslie and I were walking out to the minivan. She's got her purse strapped across her shoulder, and I've got the keys in my hand. You can imagine how clunky it would be if I tried to, like, loop my arm inside the purse and and walk with her that way, or if she tried to, like, grab the keys and hold one side of the keys, and we tried to get to the minivan successfully and then in them. It just wouldn't work. It works best when she has the purse and I've got the keys, and we go to our sides of the vehicle, we hop in the minivan, we, we back out using that, that really handy camera that it's, that it's got, and then we drive down the road together. In the same sense, <clears throat> a church is governed best, most efficiently, most effectively, uh, when the elders focus on the keys of the kingdom and don't try to reach over and grab the purse, and vice versa. Right, right, right now, one of our ruling elders is having to be uh, the, the treasurer, because like I said earlier, when you don't have deacons, the ruling elders and teaching elders have to do it. So when we have uh, deacons, that's something that they will take over and it will free us up to exercise and use the keys of the kingdom more effectively because they'll be managing the purse. Does that make sense? I know Jeff is eager for you deacons to be trained and installed, all right? I am too. That'd be great. So you hold the purse, we hold the keys of the kingdom. Secondly, that, that's the property, that's like the, the financial property of the church, but the other aspect of the property of a church would be like the physical property, the building. We don't own this building, but we, we have great landlords, and we take care of it. We do a lot of the maintenance around here. We, we hire somebody to cut the grass, right? So like, here's an example. Men who are over 18, possibly deacon candidates, listen, you don't have to hop on the mower and mow it. But if you get here two weeks in a row and you're like, man, the grass seems a little high. I don't think they've been here in a minute. You just have to make the call. 
The elders, that's not even going to be on our brains anymore. We're not even going to think about the grass out there. That's going to be what you think about. Does that make sense? That's just one less thing that we have to think about as we're trying to shepherd the flock because you're taking care of it. But you don't have to get on the Husqvarna or the zero turn or whatever you got and mow it yourself. You just have to be in, in charge of making sure that the proper care and repair of the building is, is in order. Right? You don't have to paint every square inch of the wall yourself. We're not, we're not suggesting that that's what you're going to do. You just have to be the one leading the congregation in the proper care and repair of this building. Right? When we had a water problem in my, my office, it's been resolved now. Uh, praise God for that. So happy to be back in there. Uh, but we didn't have any deacons. And so who was meeting the maintenance guy? Who was meeting, meeting the repair guy and, and the guys doing the evaluation? Well, it was Jeff and I, right? When you have deacons, uh, the deacons uh, will take over that responsibility. Now, I don't foresee there being water damage in my office ever again, but, but you get it. If, if there's a leak or there was toilet around here, I'm here all the time, so I'm sure I and a, and a deacon, we would coordinate together on that, okay? But you don't have to be the one. You don't even have to hold, like, the wrench while the toilet's being fixed. You just got to call the plumber sometimes, okay? <clears throat> Hopefully that makes sense. If we, owned, if we don't own church vans, but if we, if we did and one of them broke down, the elders aren't going to sit in a meeting and work together on the Internet to find out where the, the church van would be. That's a diaconal issue. That's, that's physical property of the church, right? And if you had to go pick up that, that van, that church van, you don't have to be the one that goes, goes and picks it up yourself. You just have to make sure it gets done. We hope maybe you would have time to do that. But if you need to delegate it to a layman or a DAC and assistant, that's fine. Hopefully you get, I've, I've really driven that point home. I'm sorry. I just hope you understand we're not, we're not trying to overburden you. Like the point of the, di- the diaconate is not to just, all right, what, what suckers can we get to just grind into the dust with all the tasks? That's not the point. No, we're not trying to do that. We're not going to allow that to happen to you. <clears throat> Prepare. <clears throat> The teaching elder administers the Lord's Supper, right? The, the ruling elders help, uh, help dispense the elements and oversee. This is part of exercising the keys of the kingdom. But one of the things that will roll under the purview of the, the deacons is making sure that the bread and the wine is out here uh, every, every morning. So, like, if I get up here at 1030, to be honest, it's more like 1035 at the earliest. I get up here and I start to herd the cats and no one pays attention to me, really. Uh, but when that happens and I look up here and there's no elements on the table, I don't go looking to my, de- my elders and say, what's going on here? I would, I would find a deacon and say, all right, what, what happened? What, what do we, how can we help? What can we do very quickly uh, to try to get this, get this done? Because that would be a diaconal responsibility to get here uh, early before the service to make sure the elements are prepared or to uh, create uh, a Lord's Table Guild, a communion guild, right? A group of laymen or volunteers that gathers together on Sunday morning and make sure under the guidance of the deacons that this gets done, right? However you want, however you want to devise and make sure uh, that that happens, great. You want to build a robot that you have programmed to do it, totally great. Hope you you know, if you have those skills, come talk to me. I've got some other projects I could use your help on. But that's, that's just something that you uh, can figure out and in, in you're using your wisdom and your prudence to sort through. The, the other aspect would be the other elements uh, for worship and fellowship. Doing the sound check, just turning things on, helping me just, it's a small space. We don't have a lot, but just helping me make sure the coffee's going and that everything's kind of ready for Sunday morning, Okay. People, property, and, and prepare. You can see how uh, the deacons and their leadership, their, their oversight, them delegating to diaconal assistants and laymen, how that helps 
uh, keep the body of Christ here healthy, how it helps things uh, uh, run smoothly. How do we apply this to our heart and our hands? I didn't want this just to be a lecture on the diaconate, right? I want it to be a sermon. I want to try to apply uh, this big idea that God cares about temporal and physical matters. So we've just, we've just applied a lot of, of stuff to our heads. We've just, I've just thrown a lot of information at you. But how do we apply this to our hearts and to our hands? What sentiments and affections for God and others should this stir up? What should we do with this information? How do we put this to work? Well, let's start with that one, putting the truth to work. How do we work this information out? Well, before we have deacons, as we get ready to nominate them in the month of August, consider who you see around here right now that's already doing things. Who does these kinds of things? Who are the doers, right? Doers of diaconal-ish things are good options for the office of deacon. Secondly, after we have deacons, we should look to our deacons for leadership and respond to their efforts to stir us up to doing the deeds of Christ. Let me put it to you this way. The elders lead the church in the doing of good doctrine of Christ. The deacons help lead us in the doing of the good deeds of Christ. And both are necessary. Right? Faith without works is dead. Right? So we should look to our deacons. It's no small office. There's this idea in, that sometimes people bring up in the Reformed tradition that, well, you know, the, the deacons, it's, it's not an office of, of authority. It's just an office of service. And I just want to look at them and say, you're not thinking biblically. You're thinking like in the corporate world. Right? The, the Bible does not divorce service and authority. Servanthood and leadership go hand in hand in God's word. And so we look to our deacons to help lead us in the doing of the good deeds of Christ. Now, lastly, let's close with matters of the heart. Here's the kind of sentiments that this idea that God cares about our physical, temporal needs, these are the sentiments that should stir up in us. God cares about these people. We should look around this room this, this kind of thing should peel our eyes away from our navel and towards others and their needs. And we should think to ourselves, I am responsible for these other people to a degree. And if you become a deacon, oh, that degree certainly increases. Right? The, the, what we should think, what we should have in our hearts, our sentiment, our disposition towards others should be, these people are my people. Their needs are my needs. Secondly, God cares about me. The sentiment or the disposition of the heart that this should stir up in us is a sense that God cares about me. He cares about us. He actually cares about the temporal things of my life. He cares about us. Even when no one else in the world seems to care, God, through his church, through the diaconate, will care for me. They'll care about me and my family. We see in, in Christ our Lord a care for the souls of people as he preaches the gospel and calls people to repent of, of, of sin. We saw this in the Gospel of Luke series that we just did over the course of six weeks. He's calling people to repent. He's caring for their souls right, by preaching the good news. But he's also doing what? He's meeting their physical needs. He looks at this blind man who has faith in him and says, what do you want me to do for you? What's your physical, what, what's your need? He's like, it's physical. I want my sight back. Done. Done. Faith has made you well says we see the care of christ that he has for the physical temporal needs of people as he heals them and as he treats the poor and the marginalized with care and dignity 
He made the physical and temporal needs of others a priority in his ministry, and he continues to do so in his church even today. The Lord cares about the temporal, physical matters of our lives, and he cares so much about those necessities that he established an office in the church to see to it that these physical, temporal affairs were taken care of amongst his people. Let the hearer understand. Let's pray.